I think we can all agree that learning is more fun when you do it with friends, right? So if one of your summer goals is to learn more about the science of reading and how to incorporate it into your classroom, then let me invite you to join our free summer book study. During the month of June, we are gonna be hosting a free book study for teachers just like you, where we are gonna work our way through the book, Shifting the Balance, Six Ways to Bring the Science of Reading into Your Upper Elementary Classroom. And we'd love to have you join us. We're gonna read one chapter a week and inside our book study Facebook group, you're gonna get to participate in things like our weekly Facebook Live, discussion posts, you're gonna get some really awesome freebies and the chance to win some stellar prizes. All of this is going to help you align your instruction with the science of reading next year. It's gonna be fun. And even if you don't think you'll have time to read every single chapter, still consider joining. You're gonna get a lot out of the group even if you don't have time to read the entire text. So I hope to see you this summer where we can all learn alongside each other. You can sign up at stellarteacher.com slash bookstudy. That's all one word, stellarteacher.com slash bookstudy. And I'll see you inside our group. You're listening to episode number 42 of the Stellar Teacher Podcast. Happy Monday and welcome back to the podcast. Y'all, today you are in for a real treat because I have a special guest on the podcast today. And if you cannot tell by the enthusiasm in my voice, I am so excited about this interview. I got to interview Pernille Rip, who is the founder of the Global Read Aloud. And if you have not heard about the Global Read Aloud, it is an amazing program and you will have an opportunity to jump in and be able to connect with teachers and students all over the world with a shared book. But beyond the Global Read Aloud, Pernille has a passion for helping students be engaged and passionate learners and readers. And she shares so much of her passion for that teaching transformation in this episode. I think you are absolutely gonna love it, so let's not waste any time and jump right into the interview. Teaching literacy is tough, but with the right tools, you can be not only good, but great. Amazing. I'm talking off the charts impactful. Hey, I'm Sarah Marie, a literacy specialist with over a decade of experience working as a classroom teacher and school administrator. Tune in each week to this podcast to hear no-fluff lesson ideas and strategies that will help you feel confident in your abilities to truly grow your students as readers. Are you ready? Let's dig in. Okay, Pranil, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I am so excited to share you with my audience. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here with you as well. Could you go ahead, in case there are teachers in my audience that do not know you, can you just go ahead and give us a little introduction as well as a background about your teaching experience? Sure. So my name is Pranil Rip, and currently I'm a seventh grade English teacher in the Oregon School District in Wisconsin. I was not born and raised in America. I came to America in 98. I'm born, uh, I was born and raised in Denmark and did never think that I would be a teacher of the American public school system. That's for sure. I um, started out as elementary teacher, but now have made it into middle school and have stayed there for a while and absolutely love the ferocious honesty of my seventh graders and just the energy that they bring and the demands that they bring for, for teachers and, and staying on top of your toes. Beyond my classroom, though, I also get to travel around the world and teach other teachers. I've written four education books, all centered around student engagement, whether in literacy or global collaboration or just overall how to break systems of control and oppression in our schools and in our classrooms. 
And then in 2010, I founded the Global Read Aloud, a global literacy project, which I know we're going to talk more about today. And so there's just lots of different components that I get to do in this function as a teacher. And then my biggest role is probably just being a mom. I have four crazy kids who I am hoping will not interrupt us during this podcast, but who knows? No worries. That's real life. (laughs) (laughs) And I definitely want to talk about the global read aloud, but I, I just, I think, you know, when I hear everything that you've done and how engagement and empowerment is, I feel like such a central part of like what you're doing both as a teacher and as a you know, a champion of teachers. So how did, just tell me a little bit about your journey and how did engagement and empowerment become so important to you? Well, I think it became so central to what I do because I was lacking it in my own teaching, you know, after two years of teaching fourth grade and kind of having that realization of like what happened to the dreams that I carried with me before I became a teacher and seeing the real life consequences of the decisions I was making in my classroom, I recognized that this wasn't going to work. And so my immediate response was like, well, I shouldn't be a teacher, right? Like that it was like, rather than like fix it, it was like, okay, clearly I'm not meant to be within the classroom and and to be with nine-year-olds because I'm seeing the damage that some of my decisions are doing to kids and who were just becoming incredibly quiet and compliant. And we're just taking whatever kind of punishment or things that we were taking away from them without a fight. And those who were fighting, you know, we would just kind of like punish harder. And so I went home after my second year of teaching and told my husband and was like, you know, I I think I'm done. And he was like, yeah, it's summer vacation. Yeah, (laughs) you know, good for you. And I was like, no, I think I'm done. Totally. I don't think I'm going to go back. And he he just kind of looked at me and we talked more about it. And he he said, you know, you can't you can't change the students, but you can change the way you teach. And for for him, it was such like a throwaway, like duh comment. And for me, it really was like the piece that was missing that I just hadn't had the time to sit down and think about because I was so eager to make these kids fit into the box of what a good student looked like. And that was centered in the traditions that had been passed on to me, right? You know, willfully or not of like what good students did. And in that moment, I recognized the harm that I was doing and that I really needed to first start and look at my own teaching practices and see the boxes I was creating in order to disrupt them. And in order to put the focus back on the kids, not the fictional kids that I was planning for or hoping they would turn into be, but the actual kids that showed up. And so that journey started and all summer, and that was the summer of 2010, I kept telling my husband about all the things I wanted to do and the things I was learning. And finally, he was like, you like to write. You should write about this. And I don't know if it was self-preservation as in I can't take another conversation about education or if it truly was like, go write about this. And, and settle your thoughts. And so I did. And I started this blog and I did not think anyone would ever read it. It was really just a way for me to get what was running through my head and not necessarily solutions, but questions out into the world and to re- reflect publicly. And I still remember the first time uh, people like left comments on that very first blog. And I was just like, Where the, like it's not my mom. So who's a stranger? <laughs> and uh, it just kind of snowballed from there because I decided early on that if I was going to write about it, then I was going to write about everything. And I was going to write about the mess. And I was going to write about the imperfection and how hard it was at times and the, and the mistakes that I made. And it wasn't that that was not happening because it was, but I think a lot of people gravitated to it because it was real. And it wasn't the picture perfect teaching of like, look at everything I figured out and I have every answer. It was instead like, hey, come along on this journey with me. And then my students' voices became central to all of that work. And so I owe my students an immense amount of gratitude because it's their wisdom that has really helped me shape 
my own practice and also allowed me to go out and share their words with others in the way it has. So it just started super organically, you know, which is the same way the Global Read Aloud started. I don't think had I known the role it would evolve into, I wouldn't have done it because I wouldn't have felt like the person that should get to have a platform like that. And I still struggle with that. You know, who am I and who am I to take up space? And yet at the same time, too, I recognize the people that I look to for inspiration who have helped me change my thinking and how grateful I am that they're in the world taking up space. And so whenever a teacher reaches out and is like, man, that one idea that you shared or 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 the, the journey that you've been on has really given me courage. It's just such an incredible, it's just an incredible thing to be given the gift of someone else's time. So I'm, I'm still writing. Um, I, I don't blog as much right now because COVID has been really intense and we've had some really, really big things happening in my family. But I share, you know, on Instagram and in Facebook and Twitter and kind of do a lot of micro sharing of like, here's what's going on. And I try to share freely of anything <laughs> that I create because I know that right now and, and for years, right, we've, we've felt so exhausted and, and so burned out. And so whenever I come up with something or I tweak something, I'm always like, well, maybe somebody else can benefit from this. So that's really where it's from. And the speaking just kind of happened because I had a good friend who was like, you should be out speaking. And he sent a text message and was like, why is Pernil not speaking at your conference? And then it just kind of snowballed from there. I was out speaking, you know, like anybody else at conferences or sharing. And then someone was like, wait, we're going to pay you, which was mind blowing. Like, And, and still to this day is kind of like, wait, you're going to pay me for this? But it's it's been pretty incredible. I'm working on book number five right now, which has been a lot of fun, and I'll I'll keep doing it until it doesn't feel right anymore, and then I'll just fade away into the <laughs> that. Is, well, golly, it, that is incredible, and you just you have shared so much. And I, when I was in the classroom, and even now I'm not in the classroom. I support teachers full time, but I have benefited so much just from the wisdom and the experience that you have shared. And I mean, I love what you said, how I think so many teachers can relate and resonate to this feeling of, I am not effective. So I, I should, I should quit. Like I, I had this vision. I had this dream. I think so many teachers come in with this very idealistic idea of I'm going to change the world. I know I had that idea. And then when you get in and you realize that there are systems and structures that are not what we thought they were going to be. And then just trying to figure out how do I fit into that space? And can I actually make a difference with all of the challenges and hurdles that our teachers are up against? So I love that you didn't quit after two years and that you continued on because teachers continue to benefit from that and your students do as well. And before we get into talking about the global read aloud, one of the things I follow you on Instagram. And one of the things that I love is that you are such a champion for independent reading in the classroom, which I know teachers in my audience are always trying to find more time to read aloud to their students. I know when I was in the classroom, it's, you know, teachers are up against the challenge of time. They're up against the challenge of not even have, you know, classroom libraries. I think they're also up against the challenge of state testing from districts and expectations and boxed curriculum. So it's like, what would you tell teachers who are wanting to give their students more authentic reading experiences and giving their students more choice, but feel like they are boxed into the structures of school and can't? Yeah, I think I think we have to kind of pull back, right, and go, wait, what's the purpose of school? Because the purpose of school is not to succeed on a standardized test. The purpose of school is to create uh, opportunities for kids to follow their own curiosities and become, you know, more than they were when they entered. And so I think a lot of the time when we are faced with time restrictions and, and curriculum restrictions, independent reading is one of the first things that goes, right? Yep. Because it's not seen as flashy. 
And yet, if we were to put any kind of like sport analogy into it or anything, we would never tell our basketball team like, oh, we don't have time for practice, but I'm going to tell you about all the skills that you need to go home and practice. Like that would never work. And right. so it's, we would never do just a PowerPoint. Right. On, like, on, like, how to play like, basketball. <laughs> and yet how often rather than giving and protecting independent reading time, do we go, oh, well, what they need is more skills. They need me talking at them more, but then we don't actually have time to do the practice. And so I always tell teachers, find the time Mm -hmm. because it's, or actually I say, make the time because we're not going to find extra time. And the way we make time is by shutting up. We need to stop talking so much in our own spaces and say, okay, if I have 45 minutes of teaching, which is what I had when I started seventh grade, well, then 10 minutes of that every single day is going to be dedicated to independent reading. And it's going to be the very first thing we do because it's the thing that I place the most value on. And then after that, I'm going to have to fit in my lesson and all of the things that we need to do in order for me to be a seventh grade English teacher. And that puts the pressure on us rather than saying like, well, hopefully if I can get through everything I can, then maybe we'll find some time for independent reading. Kids need that routine. They also need the expectation that in this space, we read together and we watch our habits and we study each other and we dive into our personal reading identity journey in order to become more than what we were. And so the minute we remove, whether you want to call it independent reading or even just self-selected reading, you know, is it really truly independent if it's something we're forcing kids Mm -hmm. to do, you know, but that self-selected communal reading time, when we remove that, we're removing one of the biggest tools we have for, for observing and identifying reading behavior in children. And so for me, it has always become the most central part. It's the last thing that's ever cut. It's the, it's the last thing that's ever removed. Even during the virtual teaching that I did for 11 months, kids still had that time to just sit and read. And sure, I'm sure many of my students turned off their camera and did not actually read a book, <laughs> but the invitation was there every single day. And so I think about the conversations we need to have as schools and as teams. What do we value and what kind of experiences do we want? all of our readers to have. Because we can't stand in front of a class and say that reading is going to benefit you in ways beyond your imagination and then say, but we don't have time for it here. And so I think it also comes down to a restructuring of what we see value in. And then we start to recognize, I mean, and there's so many years of research, right, of the benefits of independent reading, even down to 10 minutes of reading. Dr. Uh, Allington says, you know, that plants the seeds for future reading. I want to plant the seeds. And so I'm going to, I'm going to find my, find the time to do that. And so I, I, you know, the work that I'm doing right now is really centered on student reading identity. And rather than jumping right on the student, the first chapter in this, you know, book that I'm drafting or whatever it will be, PDF, who knows, is really centered on the adults. And what are the reading rights of every single child in our spaces, right? Like, If I come in and I'm someone who has been uh, determined to be not at whatever fictitious grade level I'm supposed to be at, what choices are removed from me? And how does that impact my emotional reading journey? And how do we then set out to preserve so that every child, no matter where they are in their journey, is going to have access to the same experiences and the same scaffolds that they need to perhaps find pleasure within reading? Because it's it's that value, it's that pleasure that hopefully will make kids go, I'm going to make space for this outside of school, whatever that text looks like. And so you can't do that without that reading time, without that. And it's such a community builder, right? And of course, you're going to have kids that come in and they're like, 
I'm not going to do this. <laughs> we all know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and, and I blog about that, right? Like when people go, oh, you must have it all figured out. And, you know, within two weeks, they're all just sitting there fully immersed in all of their texts and can't believe how much they love reading. It's like, no, no. I have kids who will, would rather, you know, try to get kicked out of the classroom than sit down with a book because that's how much negative emotion they have attached to the act of reading. But you know what? I have a superpower and that's patience. And I'm never going to judge you for the emotional reaction you have to being asked to do something like reading. And instead, I'm just going to continually slide amazing books in front of you. I'm going to continually invite you into the space to do it. And I'm going to continue to try to keep you in our classroom at all costs so that even if you choose to just sit there politely or not and stare into space during our independent reading time, that you still feel a part of our community. And so I think it's also that often we assume that there are just quick fixes to reattach kids to reading or get them attached in the first place without recognizing that sometimes kids come to us with years of negative experiences attached to reading. And we're going to need years to undo that. And so I think it's also like important. And I think that's why I write about it so much to give ourselves some slack, right? That we are just one step of the journey. We are not the saviors of these children. We are part of their journey. Ultimately, the saving has to be done by the child themselves with support from the adults around them or whatever you want to call it, the change. Yeah. And I, I love how you phrase that as the invitation, right? The whole point is every day we're giving students the invitation to engage in independent reading. And I even like how you said the self-selected, because if it's if it's independent, but we're still telling them what to read, it's really not serving the purpose that, you know, it's intended to. But I, I you know, kind of what you're saying is I, teachers a lot of times will ask me, it's like, okay, well, you know, we started independent reading and we're a couple weeks in and my students, they don't like reading or they haven't found the book yet, or they're just sitting there. And it's like, you know, so often we as teachers, I think we do lack patience and we do want to see this immediate sort of quick fix, but especially, you know, in upper elementary and in middle school, it can take a long time. And, you know, I always try to remind teachers that teaching is not a sprint. <laughs> we have the entire year to get our students through our classroom, but you just pointed, brought up a great point that it's really not even just about one year together. We need to think collectively as educators, you know, we have the entire school experience from K to 12 and beyond. And I think if we can sort of view it from that larger picture, hopefully that will help teachers feel a little more, I don't know, empowered to create that space. Because I think it is about giving students that opportunity daily, that invitation, if you will, to, to read independently. So I just love your thinking about that. And I cannot wait for that fifth book to come up. We'll see. We'll see what it turns out to be, right? <laughs> it could just be a series of blog posts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be excited to read it. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the Global Read Aloud, which I'm super excited to talk about with my audience. You know, just go ahead and tell me a little bit about what it is, why you started it, and we'll kind of go from there. Yeah. So, um, as mentioned, Global Read Aloud started in 2010 for purely selfish reasons. So, so, so that summer of transformation also was the summer that I really got invested into, into Twitter and into like this global idea of others sitting around the world that we could just tap into. And like, why wasn't I doing that? And so that summer we were in the, in the car listening to the radio, listening to NPR. And I heard the name Neil Gaiman. I'm a massive Neil Gaiman fan. And so I turned, I turned up the uh, radio and I was like, oh, what are they talking about? And they were talking about someone who uh, had decided to use Twitter as the foundation for a global book club of the reading of American Gods, one of Neil's books. And they were using a common hashtag and had just kind of invited people to join in this book club. And as the story goes, I turned to my husband. I said, someone should do that for kids. And he was like, well, why don't you? He says this never happened. He doesn't remember this <laughs> conversation. But I, I'm going to stick by my origin story. 
And so I had just started blogging maybe a few weeks prior and had maybe, you know, 37 followers on Twitter or something like that. And so I wrote this blog post and it was just this vision for a global read aloud. Maybe we can use a wiki um, because I was really into wikis at the time to share our experiences, but would anyone be willing to go on this journey with me? Because I was like, you know what? I'm going to do a read aloud with my fourth graders. How cool would it be if we sat and connected with another class and talked about our differences? I was really focused on like, man, we're really going to learn about how different the world is, even though, you know, we're fourth graders or whatever. And so I, I sent it out on Twitter. And thankfully, I had a couple people, uh, Jerry Blumengarten and Lisa Dabbs, who followed me at the time, and they had a lot more followers and they like retweeted it. And so immediately I got these couple of people that were like, yeah, that sounds amazing. Where do we sign up? And I was like, I don't know. You know? I haven't gotten and that so, far yet. <laughs> yeah, you're like, just had the idea. And so it was super organic. It was like, oh, we need a place to sign up. Well, okay, we can, we can use Google Forms. And then it was like, oh, we need a place to share. Oh, we can use this. And wait, what are we reading? Oh, let's figure that out. And what's the calendar? So it was just like this, like, what's the next step? So I was always like <laughs> barely one step ahead. And then it kicked off and it kicked off for four weeks. And the first book was The Little Prince. And it was magical. It was really incredible to see my students not just like dive into the read aloud as normal, but also to consider the similarities that they saw between kids in other places in North America that were doing it. And I, I remember that that it struck me, right, that, yeah, okay, they were super like wowed by the differences. Oh, your classroom looks so different. Or, But what really got to them was like, whoa, they had the same thoughts that I did. Even though they're sitting in a totally different space and living totally different lives, it was like, wow, we're, we're talking about the same things and like having some of the same ideas. And so when it was done, I was like, that was cool. And someone was like, we should do it again. And I was like, oh, that's a lot of work. Let's not do that again. And someone was like, well, how about we do it once a year? And I was like, now that I can do. And so it really just like organically grew from there. The second year, we added another book just to have a little bit more spread. And then the third year, we added in what it is now, where it is, there's a picture book author or creator choice that you can do with any age, of course, because picture books are for all ages. And then there are four read aloud selections spanning, you know, K through 12 that you can choose. And people truly choose whichever one they see fits their kids best. It's free. It's always been free. It runs uh, this year from October 4th to November 13th. You don't even need to sign up. You just kind of either go to the blog to get the information. It's the globalreadaloud.com. You can join Facebook. I have a very like love-hate relationship with Facebook, but for this purpose, it works really well. There's a main global read aloud group, and then there are specific groups just for, for the age groups of the books. People are sharing resources and connections wanted. And it's just like it's just this incredible global thing. And it grew from 300 students to millions. And so when we think about, is it truly global? We typically have 85 to 90 different countries represented every single year. Um, definitely majority of people are, are in North America and English speaking countries, but it, it is really something that spans the globe. And what blows me away is just the, the, the love of the project and the resources that people share and like the ideas that are so much better than what I could have ever come up with that people then go out and freely share and say, here's how I'm going to navigate this read aloud. And I would love for others to be part of this journey. And so sometimes the authors are involved as well. It always just depends on like how busy they are. The books are never chosen based on whether authors can be involved or not. Catherine Applegate, when we did the one and only Ivan, 
was the first author to reach out and say, Hey, can I, can I be a part of this? And I was like, yeah, of course you can, like whatever you want to do. And so we've just had some incredible authors come in and join and whether it's answering a tweet or giving away a Skype visit or whatever it is, you know, just coming in and being a part of it. And so it is kicking off again this year. And I'm so excited once again for the tech selections, especially since 2018. Uh, it's been really focused on providing a much more global experience. I would say up until 2017, 2018, I was much more kind of like, oh, it's a good read aloud. And like, I, I thought about some things, but not all the things that are now in place. Now, when I, I think about a book and, and the books that are chosen, it's really like, what's the broader universal message? Is it uh, US centered or not? I would prefer for it to not be, you know, how accessible is it for people outside of, of America or Canada, et cetera. And just like, what are the conversations that are going to be uh, in, invited into from these selections? So it's, it's crazy. I think it can be feel overwhelming for new people because it's not a lesson plan, right? It's meant to fit into your curriculum. And so my advice is always, if, if you're listening and you're like, that sounds cool, but I'm not sure how to handle that. Just read aloud the books. You're still part of the global read aloud. Maybe do like there's a Kahoot usually or like a Flipgrid or, you know, pick something easy. There's postcard exchanges that people do for the books. But you can also be a part of the project by simply reading aloud the book, maybe your first year and kind of dipping your toes in and then make it work for you. I almost never end finish the books within the six weeks. I feel like I'm always I'm always behind because we have like field trips and whatnot planned in the middle. And that's okay. The only thing we ask is don't read ahead and spoil it for others. <laughs> I love, I just, I love this idea. I think it's brilliant. And I love how organically it kind of came about. I did the global read aloud. I don't even remember the year, but it was the year that Edward Tulane mm. was the read aloud book. And I think I saw an article about you in like the reading teacher journal. And I was like, this sounds like a good idea. Like, let me just investigate it. And I'm pretty sure I joined it late. <laughs> And I was kind of like, okay, like, let me just try to make a few connections with, you know, teachers. I was teaching at an international baccalaureate school. So we were encouraging, you know, we wanted our students to think globally and beyond. But I remember how that experience was so impactful for my students. And I think just, you know, it changed the way we read aloud after that, because we no longer just talked about the book, but we talked about it much more from this global experience. You know, we kept in contact. We had a couple classes, like we had a class, I think in China that we had pen palled with throughout the year, you know, and continue just to talk about it. It's like, okay, well, this is our perspective, but like, how would somebody else read this or what would they take away from it? It made the book so much more, I think like real and alive for my kids. And we got to FaceTime with classes and it became a much bigger experience and part of my classroom than I intended it to be, but it was neat. And that was my last year in the classroom. And I was like, oh my gosh, every, so every year now I'm always like telling, you know, I was an assistant principal for a while and I always encouraged my teachers to sign up for this. And now of course I'm super excited to encourage my podcast audience to sign up for it as well. What are just some of like the benefits, you know, that you hear teachers talk about, you know, the impact that they've had, the teachers that have done this year after year? Well, I think you just mentioned some of them, right? Like it changes the way that you think about your read aloud, that it really goes from the text to the world instead. And you start to think of the the pieces of literature that you bring into your classroom as really uh, an invitation into conversations about people in other places, about bigger ideas, social ideas, et cetera. But I think it also changes kids on, on like a very like human level, as far as like they're making connections with kids in other spaces. They're learning from each other. And I often see than the extension that it's not just during the global read aloud, but all of a sudden you have this, you, you have this connected school 
and you start doing other other tools and other teaching with them. And so I think also the benefits that I've seen and, and I've heard from a lot of teachers is that it really helps the teachers expand their professional resources, whether it's people or technology tools or ideas as far as like things that you can do to uh, really incorporate read aloud in a whole different way and reading and writing and speaking and all of the standards that we're supposed to teach. And I think that for many, that's also the boost that it's benefited them personally, because all of a sudden they were like, I didn't have to sit and worry about, can I figure this out? Because I had this entire community going, here's how you do that. You want to start using Flipgrid. You want to start using Padlets. You want to start uh, doing any kind of global collaboration. Here's the blueprint of how to do it. And if it doesn't work for you, guess what? You have an entire community that's going to help you figure it out. And so I think like it takes the book and makes it this cornerstone of our classroom but also a transformational experience for the adult. And I think that that's the beauty of it, that you really can let something like the global read aloud become a roadmap to further changes within your instruction. And at the base of it, right, is that we start to discover the similarities between us and the rest of the world. And I think about this time that we're in where we're once again so divided, because this isn't the first time in, in U.S. history or in world history, how important it is to start to recognize once again and remember that even if our worlds look miles apart, we are still human beings and we carry the same emotions and thoughts and the same dreams for the future. And I think that that's so important for kids and for teachers to be reminded of because it's really easy to get stuck in this is how I feel and this is my way and this is how I want the world to be without recognizing that there are other human beings out there that may change your thinking. And so, so I think just there's so many benefits to the project both on a personal, but also on a, on a global, global level uh, that makes me so proud that, that it's in the world, you know, that it really is meant to build understanding connection and empathy for the plight of others. I love it. And I feel like if anything, it just is a reminder for us how powerful books really can be, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. to literally connect, connect the world. I love it. And we will be sure to link I know there's a Facebook group, there's a website. So if there are teachers in my audience who want to participate, they definitely have time to get involved. So we will link to all of that. And the last question that I really want to ask you is I, I mean, you are a total action taker, right? Like you, you've started this global movement, you have written books, you have, you know, just done so many things to have a positive impact on the world of education. And I, I know that there are so many teachers who have that same sort of passion and zeal, but maybe feel like I don't have a platform. There's no way I could do something like this. So, you know, what can you say to teachers just to encourage them that they too can have the same sort of like big impact that you have had in education? Well, I think that there's plenty of space. You know, I don't think that you need to stand around waiting for someone to give you permission or to invite you in. If you have something to share, it's going to find an audience if it has value. And even if that audience is small, that doesn't mean you have less value. And I think as educators, we are so used to sharing, but in, in ways that aren't super authentic at times. Maybe we share our best lessons, right? Because we're worried about the judgment that, of course, comes with our, with our teaching. Or we only share to a select few people. But I cannot tell you how much sharing and finding your own passion has changed my life. And so I think it's just also important that, that to realize that you have value and, and what you may think is a stupid little idea could, could transform someone else's teaching. I do think there needs to be authenticity in it too. I didn't set out 
to be me. <laughs> that makes sense. Like I, when I started blogging in 2010, I, if you'd said, oh, okay, well, this is going to lead to, to book deals and you're going to get to travel the world and you're going to get to sit on podcasts and people are going to like know your name. I would have been like, no, I'm not going to do that because that's not something I'm looking for. Um, because the, you know, there is a downside to all of this too. When you, when you choose to be public and you're going to make mistakes and you're going to make them publicly. And so I wish I was more thick skinned, but I think there's, but the benefits have always outweighed the negative effects. Right. And so I think that authenticity is also going to take you far because if you set out to be like, well, I want to make money. I, I want to go out and I want to be a consultant and I want to make money. People are going to, people are going to recognize that. But if you say, you know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to share and then also know your own worth, right? Like, I think that that, that speaks volumes. And so there's lots of different ways to enter this kind of work. There's lots of different ways to enter spaces. Uh, I think it's just important that you kind of come up with your own conclusion of, am I the right person to be sharing this? And why am I sharing? You know, what's what's my end goal? That's a really messy answer to a super straightforward question. So <laughs> I think it speaks to right that there's there's many different paths into this. And and I think the drive behind my work will always be students. You know, it will always be the things that I wished I had known when I started and that I wish I would know now. And whenever students tell me something and I ask them, can I share this with others? You know, I just think about, man, your words just like shifted something in me. Like it just made me think about 30 different things I could do, or just this one thing I could change that maybe, maybe will make school safer for someone that comes after you. And that to me is why I continue to share and why I continue to put myself out there. But then I also have to continue to own up to when I say something stupid or not thought of. And I also need to know like, what is my lane? And I stick to my lane. Like there are lots of other experts out there that are much better at other things I'm going to stick to what I know and then learn about other things and, and learn from other people. I love it. Well, I am so glad that you have decided to share <laughs> with the teacher world because it's just, you've had such an impact on it. Like I said, I know that I have benefited as a teacher from just your willingness to share and contribute. And I'm so excited that you were able to talk about the Global Read Aloud with my audience. And I'm going to continue to encourage them to take part in it. I feel like it's just, like I said, my audience is filled with teachers who love authentic reading, who love encouraging students to become lifelong readers. And I feel like this is just like right up their alley. So super excited about that. If I have teachers in my audience who have not connected with you or are not following you, what's the best place for them to sort of keep up with what you're working on and be, you know, included with updates about the global read aloud or your upcoming book. How can they find you? Yeah, I, I think I'm super Googleable. I think I'm the only perennial rip in North America. Uh, so I think you can follow me in different places. So wherever, wherever kind of fits, obviously the blog is just my name, perennialsrip.com. There's, you know, I share lesson plans, big philosophical questions, news, et cetera. Facebook, there's a, there's the, you know, the global read aloud. There's also an 8,000 person strong passionate readers facebook group where people just share ideas for authentic reading and have questions i'm on twitter where i share all questions and resources and then i'm on instagram <laughs> where i share a lot of book recommendations and snapshots from the classroom and so some people follow me like kind of in all spaces and some are like nah i just want to hang out with her and her book recommendations and her small ideas and so I actually just wrote a blog post on my blog of like, where am I sharing these days? Because I've been blogging less because I'm writing. And so I would probably start there and then just ignore me when it, when you don't need me and then use, <laughs> use me when you can. Um, 
you know, the, the, the blog is really where it all started and where you're going to see 11 years worth of growth. And if you go on there and you search classroom library, you're going to see a ton of stuff. If you see, you know, search what to do after accelerator reader or anything like that, you're going to see a ton of stuff, right? Like grades and student engagement and reading identity. And like, it's all gathered there. So that's always a good place to start. That's awesome. And we will go ahead and link to all of those in the show notes as well. So Pranil, thank you so much. I just appreciate your willingness to jump on and have this conversation. I feel like I could talk literacy with you all day long. I just love hearing (laughs) you talk about your experience. So thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Stellar Teacher Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are finding value in this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would follow along and leave a five-star positive review. This helps me spread the word to more and more teachers just like you. And don't forget to join me over on Instagram at the Stellar Teacher Company. You can always find the links and resources from this episode in the show notes at stellarteacher.com. I'll see you back here next week. 